<laughs> Good morning. How are you? It's great to see you. If you're, it's your first time here, I welcome you. Um, warmly welcome here. My name's Rob. If you don't know me, pastor here, believe it or not. And uh, it's great to be here. It's the second time we've actually been in the school. And it's just like, oh, old things now. It's like, oh, I'm so familiar with it. It's just no problem setting up today. <laughs> no problems, absolutely no problem setting up. There was no leads meeting or anything like that. It just all fell together. Fantastic. <laughs> I joke. Hey, what a, what a few months we've come through. It's just bizarre. Um, you know, there's kind of a, I have this kind of a plethora, I have a plethora, a plethora of emotions that I've kind of gone through over these last three months, and I still can't quite get a handle on them. You know, we've managed to vacate a building that we occupied for five years, almost five years to the day. And uh, we did, we vacated that in three months, in the last three months, and it's just incredible the amount of things that you accumulate in a relatively short period of time. <laughs> it's just so much stuff that we had, and we just had to give it away, give it away, or throw it away, or whatever. And so there's been a range of emotions, there's been lots of sadness. Uh, for me, I find you know, it quite upsetting in some, some regards, um, but also it's been quite good clutter a little bit, you know what I mean? It's good to actually dispose of some things that were there, just hanging around. You just grew familiar with the fact that they were there. And you don't even know where they're there for now, you know, and stuff like that. It's, man, it's, it's just weird. But it's good. It was good. It's good to do that, good to, uh, to get rid of some things. The way I see it today is that we are at and Rob said it this morning, it's a pivotal moment for Vineyard Community Church. A real significant moment. It's a renew, renewing, it's a relaunching, restarting sort of thing. I had um, somebody write to me this, this week. Uh, so, yeah, I've just, we've just moved to Daventry and we're looking for a new church to go to. It's myself and my, my little daughter. And uh, I try. I try to keep my hand away from that. <laughs> And um, there you go. <laughs> so I wrote back to this person and I said, oh, obviously, welcome to Daventry. We really hope and pray that you settle it in your, in your new house and all that sort of stuff. And, and I said to her, do you know what? You've actually moved to Daventry and you're actually going to come along to the Vineyard Church at a real significant moment. We're at, right at the front end of a reboot, if you like. That's the word I use, rebooting as a church. And um, I don't know, any of you use a PC that you kind of leave running for like days or weeks? Yeah, I, I do. All my PCs that I have, the one at the office, uh, the, the laptop at home, it's, just, it's on all the time. And so it's on for weeks. But then you notice that gradually over time it just starts to slow down. And uh, you find all these things, the processes are running in the background you didn't even know. Uh, it's just slow, it's just taking up all the memory resources. And sometimes the only answer is we're going to reboot. Reboot the computer, restart it. And that kind of flushes out all the, the memory cache, that flushes out all the, the, uh, the things that are running that you didn't know were running. 
and it goes through this reboot process and then it comes up the, the familiar kind of splash screen start that we all know, the little windows, if you use windows of course, um, a little windows thing comes up, it loads up all the applications that you did intend to actually run from boot up and then you're presented with the login screen you have to authenticate yourself, is my identification that you have to give to the computer. And so then, having rebooted, it kind of like it's all fresh again. Unless you're running Windows Vista. Get rid of it. If you're running Vista, it doesn't work. You just might as well reload the computer altogether. But it runs, it runs fresh again. Um, and it's kind of like you're now ready to relaunch the applications that you want to run. And you're also now ready to lo maybe load up new applications for new things, new functions, and new, new things that you want to actually run. And that's kind of like the way I feel we are, where we are as Vineyard Community Church. It's kind of a fresh start. It's a time for reboot, a reset, to clear out the things that are filling up the resources that we have, to lay down certain things in order to start maybe new applications, new processes, new ministries. And so, we, you know, as I've been going through this uh, series of talks since the beginning of the year, living it, I, I've realised more and more, especially over the last few weeks, just how relevant this series has been for us as a church community. You know, what I've been doing is just slowly, very carefully walking through some of the core purposes that God has called us to do as a church community. You know, which, um, and that's kind of like the computer pinging up the familiar splash screen. You know, we're, running, we're treading some familiar territory to some of you, maybe. I mean, some of you are fairly new, and it's kind of like, no, I've not heard this before, or um, certainly in this context, within this church. But so that's kind of like the, 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 the splash screen appearing, and the, and the computer launching these apps that fundamentally enable the computer to function the way you want it to. Uh, and in our case as a church, we're running through the fundamental things in this series, fundamental things that enable us to function as the church that God has designed us to be to call, and called us to be. So I've been saying that our, our fundamental, our primary purpose at Vineyard Community Church is to become disciples of Jesus. Uh, the phrase that I've kind of favoured, lent towards, is apprentices to Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he's called us to be. And what I've said is this, this expression here. To be an apprentice of Jesus is to structure your life, to centre your life around three goals. Let's say it together, shall we? Well, number, number one is to be with Jesus. Number two, to become more like Jesus. And number three, to do what he did. And and what I've said was, it's actually, you can kind of summarize those three goals in one big goal. And that is transformation. That's our ultimate goal as a people of God, is change, transformation, to become more like the image of our creator. So what I've been doing then is walking through this model of change. This is intentional spiritual formation, how it takes place in our life. Now, a few weeks ago, I was talking about how transformation begins in our mind. And I was talking about that comes about through teaching. Uh, so it's teaching that we do, that kind of getting into our minds and initiating this process of transformation. But what I actually said last week, uh, last time, it wasn't last week, it was 
the week before, I think, um, was that, you know, information transfer is not enough for transformation. So transferring information isn't enough for transformation. We need to do something with the information. We need to apply the information. We need to practice. We need to outwork it. So that's what, that was kind of like a, a stepping stone between the teaching one and the one that I'm going to do this week, uh, practice. We're going to dig into a little bit more about the practice component. Um, and I want to talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. I kind of prefer that phrase uh, as well here, spiritual practices. But let's, let's start in the scripture, shall we? It's always good um, to come and see what the scriptures have to say. If we start with 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. And we're coming at verse 24. Hey, and the words do come up on the screen. So it says this. This is Paul writing. Do you not know that in a race all runners, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And, you know, this is kind of part of a big letter that this chief apprentice to Jesus uh, called Paul. It's part of his letter. And Paul here uses a metaphor for what it means to follow Jesus. And he's saying it's like that of athletics. It's like, it's like an athlete, to be an athlete. It's like running a race, like boxing in a fight. And there are a couple of good reasons for why Paul used this uh, metaphor. First of all, in Corinth, uh, Corinth was, the, was where the Ithmian games, I think that's how it's pronounced, Ithmian Games, uh, they were like an ancient Greek festival of athletic competition and music uh, competition. And it was like every two years you had like thousands of people from all over the Mediterranean come into uh, Corinth to actually witness these like, Olympic-style games that were taking place. And so this metaphor that Paul used, it really struck a chord with the people that was reading it. Right? It like, made sense. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I get the, the thing you're actually saying here. So he uses this metaphor, but he actually uses this same metaphor over and over and over again in different parts of the scriptures. For example, in Acts 20, Paul says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. In Galatians 5, he says, uh, this is a question that Paul is asking the church in Galatia. He says, you were running a good race. Well, who cut it in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Um, and then he wrote, writes a letter to his, like a, like a young apprentice, um, trainee apprentice, Timothy. And he said, fight the good fight of faith. Uh, and it was, again, it was like nearing the end of Paul's uh, life when he wrote again to Timothy. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, judge, will award to me on that day. So kind of, you know, Paul is repeatedly coming back to this metaphor uh, of running a race. It's an athletics type, type thing. And so for Paul, what he's saying is, following Jesus is like being an athlete. (laughs) To actually be a follower of Jesus is like competing in in athletics. It's characterized by self-discipline. You know, in Paul's mind, to be a disciple is to be a disciplined one. That's where the word comes from, disciple. Disciplined one. And the whole point of Paul, what he's getting to with the spiritual disciplines here, or the spiritual practices, uh, as I say, what we prefer to call it, is that it's, it's like the body is the focal point for our relationship with God. You interact with God in your body. And when, God, when Paul talks about your body, he's talking about your physical self, and he's talking about your mind and your inner being. Every, every element of who you are is the place where you connect with God. Now, although there is no real definitive list in the Bible or in the New Testament as to what the spiritual disciplines are, you, know, you can kind of pull out from all the New Testament writings and some of the writings of the early church, you can pull together a whole host of uh, list of things. And what I've done, I've got, I think it's about 16, I think it's actually, 16, 17, maybe 18, um, uh, spiritual practices that I've just put up. I'll just read through these. So we're talking about silence and solitude, prayer, fasting, reading the Bible. So you know, just you know, reading through big areas and or, or meditating on specific passages in the Bible. You know, taking your time to go through it. Um, community or practicing community, doing life with people, maybe sharing a meal every week with those same people. You know, all this is kind of based on the lifestyle of Jesus. Uh, keeping the Sabbath, Sunday gathering, what we do here, and everything that happens within that. There's worship, there's sharing the communion meal, there's teaching, uh, uh, outworking justice, simple living or simplicity. I think in society or culture calls it minimalism uh, today. So just cutting back and living simply. Um, There, confession, uh, servitude, secrecy. So doing things, you know, your deeds, uh, serving, being generous or whatever, but doing so in a secret, from a secret place. Not telling anyone about what you're doing. So God's the only one, you know, it's just obviously the recipient or whatever, the beneficiary of that. So secrecy, celebration, generosity, gratitude. You know, living from a posture of wonder and awe and gratitude. Just being a thankful person before God. Okay, so before we actually get into the spiritual disciplines, I just want to think more broadly, what is the point of discipline? Uh, Now, this is Dallas Willard. I've quoted him a few times already in this series. Dallas Willard, a great guy. He's passed away now. He was from the early part of 19... No, later part of 1900s. um, Philosopher and teacher. Really respected guy. Dallas Willard said this about disciplines. He said, disciplines are activities within our power that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. That's quite hard to get your head around. Let me say it again. Disciplines are the activities within our power that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. 
Now, if we kind of use that as a kind of backdrop and then come back and think again about athletics and, and sports and stuff, a footballer, a professional footballer, before he actually steps out onto the field to play a game, a, fo a footballer participates in a bunch of training things. They call them drills. Um, and it's all done off, off pitch in the, throughout the week before the weekend comes or whenever they play football. Now, these drills, they kind of centre in on certain elements of what they're actually going to do in their game. So they'll centre it in on tackling or passing, just simple passing things or... Um, Maybe uh, taking corners or taking penalties or something like that. Um, sometimes they like run through. You know when they got like tyres and they do that running through tyres thing. They break the net every time. Yeah, they may do some of that. Well, they're kind of meandering and, and like navigating the ball through a, a, a line of poles, up with poles or something. Yeah, things like that. Drills uh, that they do. And it's not just um, sportsmen. You're musicians as well. Musicians, if you're uh, learning to play the piano or guitar, play guitar, so this is, I relate more to, to the guitar element than this. It, part of learning and practicing the guitar, or the piano is the same, would be playing through a series of scales. So it's just repetitive. Really, da, 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 da. That wasn't in tune, was it? No. <laughs> but yeah, that, it's kind of different scales, major, minor, and pentatonic scales, and different positions at the neck. And so it's just repeating those kind of scales over and over and over and over again. And a drummer also has drills. And actually, I've asked Kate, she's going to come up and demonstrate a drill. Um, and I've got to say this, they call it paradiddles. I like that word. So, <laughs> so Kate's going to demonstrate paradiddle. I think she deserves a round of applause. Eh? So uh, it's, it's like uh, these processes of... Uh, you can, yeah, yeah, you, you can stand up now. I won't make you do it again. She's been practicing that like, hard all night. So, But the question I want to ask is, why do you do drills, first of all? And what would you do if you never did any drills, no practice at all, and then come to play the drums? What, what would happen? We'll get there. <laughs> it would sound terrible. Um, the thing I learned with um, playing the drums that was um, quite a big eye-opener for me was the independentness of um, everything. So your left hand is doing something different from your right hand, which is doing something different from your feet. Um, that paradiddle is kind of like the start of it, but what you need to do... The next step is you do it while your feet are going standard and then your feet do the paradiddle and your hands do the standard and it just builds it up. Um, you don't tend to do a paradiddle when you're playing along on, on, with a song. You can, because it's quite a nice run. Um, but what it does is it, it helps you to um, move your hands independently but still keep in beat. That one had an increasing speed and decreasing speed. So, because um, not every song is exactly the same beat or slow. <laughs> so it's keeping consistency and... Getting consistency, 
learning how to hold the drumsticks, although I threw mine yeah. away last yeah. <laughs> time I played. <laughs> yeah. um, but also, th the thing that I was noticing when I was practicing the paradiddles, I then was doing a bit of um, just normal uh, rhythmic beat, and it helps with um, the fills because the, the ordinary just four beat or eighth beat is great and it keeps the timing for um, the, the music but there are bits um, where you just want to add a bit of something to the song and that's where something like a paradiddle because you can move your hands quickly and independently you can whiz around the drum kit I can't cook again So what would happen if you never practiced any of those drills and just came and sat down? <laughs> If the song was slow, I could keep in time. Um, I wouldn't be able to do a fill, so it would be absolutely basic. It wouldn't sound good. Um, I'd also be... I'd been thinking more about the sticks in my hand and hitting the drums than necessarily what's the beat I want to do, what's the fill, how can I make it sound better, how can I improve the song. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. The point was that, that, that spiritual practices are to the way of Jesus, the way of living to Jesus, as are drills to the footballer and as are scales to the pianist or the guitarist, as are paradiddles to the drummer. They're essential repetitive things that enable us to do something that we were unable to do originally uh, by our own effort. So there are activities that you apply yourself to that will help you to access something beyond your own capacity. And in the, in the case of you know, practicing the way of Jesus, it helps us to access the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I've got another quote from Dallas Willard to read. He said, The disciplines are activities of mind and body purposely undertaken to bring our personality and our total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself, as we, quote, yield ourselves to God, and as those that are alive from the dead, and our members, so our parts of our body, as instruments of righteousness unto God, as Romans 6.13 puts it. So spiritual disciplines are how we partner with God to bring about change in our lives, how, how change actually occurs. And yes, that implies effort on our, our part. Now, unfortunately, because of the Protestant Reformation, the word effort in relationship with how we deal with God or our relationship with God makes a lot of people nervous. You know, they start, you know, you see, during the Reformation, there was an overreaction to a works-based um, salvation or works-based righteousness. And so the, the reformers, they pressed hard on the grace pedal. It's grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. No works. But this is what Willard said. He said, grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Yeah, the early church was marked by a practice-based approach to discipleship. It was called the way. And our disciples of and followers 
of the way. Now, for sure, when the Emperor Constantine and Rome, they took on this movement, adopted this movement that was called the way, and they turned it into this state-endorsed religion. And they took all the practices in something, they distorted some, they used and abused them, many of the practices for their own gains. And so, you know, come some hundreds of years later, it was like, oh, you can't engage in effort because that just works. <laughs> that was the reaction. That's kind of natural, but n- not quite right either. <laughs> the fact is that you have a part to play, and I have a part to play in our discipleship. It's not earning the Father's love. You know, you have the Father's love anyway. You're already beloved sons and daughters of the Father. But it takes effort. I mean, it takes effort to live in any kind of relationship, doesn't it? We have to apply effort. And it's just the same, if not more, in our relationship with God. And so with regards to your own transformation, you also have a part to play. In my translation, I have a part to play. I have a role it's a, and a responsibility. Just also as God has a role and a responsibility. By the way, it, you know, this kind of partnership, it's not a 50-50 thing. <laughs> it's not like God does half and we do half. It's probably more like 5% us and 95% God. He does all the heavy lifting, as it were, in this uh, partnership. But the, what I'm saying is, we, we have to apply ourselves, we engage effort. As the saying goes, without God, we can't. But without us, he won't. That's a great little saying I heard some years ago. But the key point is, uh, I wanted to add, is following Jesus isn't just about us trying hard to be Christ-like. That's not, not what I'm saying here. So it's not about trying hard to be Christ-like, but it's about training really hard. It's not trying hard, but it's training hard. And it does require effort. But it's easier to apply effort, and all our, you know, apply ourselves and apply effort to actually forming good practices and forming good habits based around the practices and the lifestyle of Jesus that allow that life and love to the full that Jesus offers to flow out of those practices. It's easier to do that than it is um, to try hard to be the character of Jesus in and through every day, every waking hour of every day, every week, month, year, or whatever. Does that make sense? Are we getting there? Yeah. You and I are transformed by our partnership with, our, with the Holy Spirit, his work in us. Okay, so I'm going to take a quick look at spiritual uh, practices or disciplines or whatever you want to call them, five thoughts on how to do spiritual practice or why they are so effective, why are they so good, why are they so helpful. I keep on... <laughs> Firstly, spiritual practices, they provide us a balanced approach to transformation. They provide a balanced approach. Um, spiritual practices, they, you can plot it on a, a grid. We've got a grid, a, a two-axis grid, Horizontal, the, the axis goes from left to right. There, there are practices that you would most likely do alone through to practices that you do alongside others. Okay, so there's that scale, right, from left to right. Um, on the vertical axis, we have practices that go from disciplines of abstinence to dis- so abstaining from things that you know, we perhaps wouldn't be helpful to do. Abstaining from things or abstaining from... 
uh, food, abstaining from relationships, abstain, abstaining from sound <laughs> then. Um, so that's at the top. And going down to um, practices that would be the completely opposite to that. It's more about you engaging, so actually going out and actually doing something. So all of our spiritual practices can kind of fit onto that somewhere. And actually, if you go ahead, uh, I just plotted some of those things. Now, most of the time, when you talk about spiritual practices, when somebody talks and says, oh, it's, yeah, spiritual discipline, spiritual practices, we often think about things that appear to the left on that graph up there or to the top, uh, top left. Um, so you think about things about abstaining from things and, done, and things that are done alone. So silence and solitude, fasting, living simply, and so on. Again, on that left-hand side, you might think about Bible reading um, or reading books or prayer, and so, so on, so forth. But do you know what? It's just as important to practice spiritual disciplines on the other side of that graph. You know, on the the right-hand side or the, the bottom right. Disciplines that involve community, engaging with community. Um, these are the things that we... I think that we're just doing things together. We're doing stuff together. Now, for Jesus, as far as we can see in the Scriptures, a core practice, a core discipline of Jesus was coming together, gathering together in the synagogue weekly. I mean, it, was just, it wasn't... Every now and again, he would come together regularly with, uh, with the people in the, in the temple, in the synagogue, uh, to gather with others. So it was a core practice for Jesus, and it was a core practice for the early church, early followers of the way. So to live out these practices, we need this balanced approach. So we need to you know, pick out things from all over that, that graph there. Now, if you were an extrovert... So you just love being around people. You just love uh, parties, being together. Just, Yay, party, man, let's get wine. and all that. So Just get together. You would most likely gravitate towards the right bottom corner of that, that graph. You'd be like, yeah, come on, let's get together. Let's go do some justice in the town or something. If you were a natural introvert, like, like actually like I am, you would probably gravitate more towards the top left-hand corner. You're going to be like, yeah, just give me some prayer. Give me some alone time, some solitude and silence. Give me something I can just reflect on. And that's going to be, you're going to need lots of that stuff if you're an introvert. This is the thing. If you are an introvert person like me, as I say, you need lots of that alone time. You need lots of silence and stuff. I need, and this is me. I mean, I, I just need to... Yeah, can you just leave that with me? I'm going to go and ponder that before God. I need to think about that on my own. I'm going to pray and see how I'm going to work that <laughs> with God. That's something I just need to do. But if, if that's me, it, do, would you think it's fair to say, therefore, that I don't need the community elements of the spiritual practices? No, I, no, I don't. Or yes, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was a bad way of asking the question, isn't it? Do you think I need the, as pastor, as the, yeah, absolutely. I absolutely need the community element and the engaging element in my life as well. And that's why we have a bunch of people gather around our house on a Wednesday evening. We have life group. And it's just a time to engage and connect with others and do life with other people. Some of you are here. And I need that. We need that. 
Uh, and the flip side, of course, is the extrovert, the one that just loves being around people, sharing meals, hosting parties and drinking and so on. If that's you, do you still require some time of reading the Bible, some prayer, reflection, silence, quiet times with God? Of course you do. <clears throat> of course you do. It's just that you're going to need a whole lot more of the community stuff because that's the way you are. You need a whole lot more. Maybe it's like eating meals with people like four nights out of seven or something. Crazy. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. <laughs> Impressive. The whole point is that we need a balance, but we also have the freedom to be the person that God has designed us to be. Gary Thomas, um, who wrote a book, Sacred Pathways, is one of Angela's favorites. It's on her like, recommended book list. And... Uh, he talked about nine pathways that people uh, most relate to in their walk and their pursuit of God. So in a relationship with him, there's nine ways that they approach God. It's kind of like a personality test sort of thing. I don't know if you've read it. But this is what the nine things he talks about. He said there are naturalists, these people that are loving God outdoors. This is Ange. Oh, this is totally, totally Ange. So for you, you connect with God when you're out in a field or you're walking and hiking around in a forest or down by a river or something like that. You really just have a moment with God in that sort of environment. But then there are senses. These are people that love God in or with their senses. So they really connect with God if they go to a gallery and see a piece of artwork and it just moves them. I just think, wow. And it's somehow connected with God. It's their senses. Or maybe it's through they're eating at Burger King or something. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I did this actually in a week ago. Ah, oh, I took it into Burger King. And it's like, Jesus is so here right now. <laughs> it, it was. It was a holy moment. But um, then there are traditionalists, people that are loving God through rituals and, and symbolism. Ascetics, loving God through solitude and simplicity. Activists. Loving God through confrontation. I mean, think about Martin Luther King, Jr. You know, just getting out, I just want to get out and fight for justice. And what's that out fighting for justice and fighting against the slave trade and fighting against sex uh, trafficking? You just really connect with God in that moment. It's just the way some people are. They just come alive, if you like, in that. Then there are enthusiasts, loving God with, mis- with mystery and celebration. You just want a party, yeah! <clears throat> contemplatives. Is that how you say it? Yeah, contemplatives. They're loving God through adoration. Man, they just want to practice the spiritual practices all the time. <laughs> yeah, you just, I'm there. <laughs> I just love it. And there's intellectuals, loving God with the mind. Yeah, I just want to read books. I want to read theology. I want to listen to podcasts. I just want to take philosophy and, and theology. I want to see how it connects God with it. How does God fit into that? How does God fit into that? Kind of, some people are just so that way orientated. The important thing is, is that we learn to tap into the things that make you come alive. You know, I know there's some people here who really connect God with the worship. I was watching some folks this morning. And, you know, it's like you just get lost in God during the songs. You know, is there any, well, I know there are a few. I don't embarrass people. But there are those who just get lost in a song. You just, I don't want this to end. You know, I just love this. I really connect with God in this. 
And also, I know that there are those here who perhaps struggle with that. That's actually, I, I, I don't really connect with that. Um, it's not me. And they're just like waiting for the moment, you know, eject the kids out of the hall or whatever. And now we're going to get onto the word. It's like, yeah, coach the notebook. Yeah, I want the, the word. This is where we're going to meet with God now. He's through his word. So there are, and that's a great thing. But is one thing better or worse than the other? No. <laughs> we need it all. We need, we need both. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, is that we need this balance on, on our graph, but we also need the freedom to be those who God has made us to be. And, and I think the thing is as well, is not to limit yourself to the things that you currently feel comfortable doing or feel strong in. Um, think those things that I was saying you can maybe naturally gravitate towards. Maybe you can discover something really beautiful, something really life-changing discipline in God. If you try, try doing something, stepping out of that comfort, out of something that you would normally do, and try something else. Try um, something that is not you, so to speak. I'm just going to try, maybe it's like doing something along with others here. You know, I don't really engage with it. I don't go to a life group. I've never been to a life group. Maybe that's something to, to try, to choose. Maybe it's something, oh, I don't really like that. But I would just encourage you to even try some doing things that you perhaps at the moment you think I don't like doing. I think there's something amazing in, in doing that. But as I say, there's also the freedom to do the things that make you totally come alive and give you that, that buzz as well. Running out of time. Three, spiritual practices take into account your season of life. If you have a young family, you've got kids, around your ankles and everything, that's what I mean by a season of your life. You're in a season of your life then. If your um, offspring have moved out, there's like the empty nest. That's another season. That's where we are, eh? Hey, we're there now. But that's another season in your life. If you're at the peak of your working career, you have to work all the hours that seem to come along, that's a season of your life. And I think the thing that we need to do is to be aware of the seasons that we're in and adjust our practices accordingly. For example, I had a person actually come to me from the church here and said, do you know, I feel that God has put this social activist caring thing within me and I really want to do something for the homeless uh, people within the town I've done something like that before in, in my previous church but right now I've got like kids and I just can't see how we can possibly do this that's being aware of the season you're in right now that's recognising the season so that particular engagement um, spiritual practice it's kind of out of reach for the moment. But the, the important thing is not to dismiss it as like, I say, I'm never going to do that again. It's for this season. But I think equally, the, the, the other thing we need to ask is, well, what practice can I excel in right now within this season that I'm in? And that may change later on. Does that make sense? Number four, spiritual practices take into account the need of the hour. I had to go to see my doctor this week. Um, she just wanted to check over my BP and BMI before I go for surgery and so on. I went with the intention to sort out my backache problems. I was in agony for like weeks, so I went along explicitly for that. 
Um, now, my doctor works in a way that any other doctor works. They say, okay, so what's the problem? Uh, what's the need? Okay, take this, or, or do that, or, or whatever it is. So they prescribe a, a response, or an answer. And now I think there are things within spiritual practices that we can apply in a similar sort of way. We can utilize spiritual practices in a way that a doctor utilizes a prescription or medicine or surgery. Let me give you an example. Uh, it's, it's a general rule. If you are struggling with a particular sin of commission, so you're committing a particular sin, um, that's perhaps, it's not aligned with the lifestyle of Jesus, you may be required to, de- to practice a discipline of abstinence. So, for example, if you, to overcorn, uh, overcorn, over, over, <laughs> overcome a porn addiction, maybe fasting is the practice that you would engage in right now. And that would be the same for any kind of addiction based on the body, uh, you know, appetite, so gluttony, sex, or laziness, for example. Working fasting into your practice could be the, one of the most powerful things to actually unlock you from that hold of addiction in your life. And then on the, the flip side, if you're struggling with sin of omission, <laughs> um, you may need the discipline of engagement. So if you're dealing with like the sin of apathy, just, I'm just lukewarmness, flat, numb, kind of apathetic or cynical view of God and the church, um, chances are that you need to uh, practice the discipline of engagement. So you need to get off your bum, you know, <laughs> and get out and do something. Go and connect with other people. Step out in faith. Do justice. Maybe you need to go and salad pile of things and give it to the poor or something. But do something. It just gets you out of, of that, that place of just apathy. Just breaks it off you. Number five. Spiritual practices, they take into account the need for repetition. There is no uh, transformation. There's no formation without repetition. There's no transformation without repetition. And this is the thing about the um, disciplines. You know, in the moment when we're actually doing them, we're just like thinking, I can't see anything happening here. Man, I've been like, I've been like praying for an hour (laughs) this week. Uh, uh, You know, I've actually starved myself from three quarters of an hour. And I, I'm not seeing any change go on in my life. And we kind of get a little bit... To, but these, what we need to see, because we need to see change uh, immediately, but the reality is these things happen over time. They're an accumulation or an accumulative effect. The dis- disciplines, they do change us, but it takes a while to change us. Does anybody remember the, the old film from the 80s, Karate Kid? Yeah? I got, I've got to confess, it's one of my favourites. It really is. Uh, oh yeah, it's the wax on, wax off. Daniel Sun, he desperately wants to be this great karate uh, fighter. And then, so he comes, he manages to talk Mr. Miyagi, this old Japanese native guy, to teach him, to train him in um, karate. But what he, all he just finds himself doing is waxing Miyagi's car. <laughs> the wax on, wax on, wax on, wax off. And like Danielson, he's just like, he's getting so frustrated with it. And then he's like painting his fence. Yeah. Oh. And then, oh. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. And so that's like, Danielson, he's like, it's just like, 
I'm getting so frustrated. He like, gets really bitter about it. And sometimes that's like us, you know, within the church. Because, you know, sometimes it just feels like we're doing wax on, wax off. <laughs> sometimes it feels like we're just reading the Bible. We're just, I just starved myself for a day. Or that's all it was. And it's not. And so sometimes we, we're looking for the results now. And we don't see it. Because more often than not, it's the things that are being changed. The groundwork is the stuff that God is doing deep down inside of us that we don't actually see. You know, I think it's very rare for somebody to actually notice a change instantly, in the moment, when they do something. I, I don't discredit that it, it happens, but I just think it's really rare. And certainly for me, it's something that's very long, over a long time of continually practicing not giving up and it's just like then all of a sudden one day you kind of wake up and go hey I'm not the same person I was last year <laughs> I've just noticed that <laughs> or you, you, people coming up to you at work or whatever and they're like saying something's changed in you I can't pin it down but something's actually changed that's what discipleship to Jesus looks like it doesn't happen overnight it doesn't even happen sometimes over weeks, maybe months. Sometimes it takes a lifetime of, of practice, of spiritual practice, of discipline. But we need to just be patient. We need to be patient with what God is doing in us, patient with the Holy Spirit. And more than anything, we need to be patient with ourselves. And not to discredit, not to look down on the small things that God is doing in us. I just want to close off by uh, this quote by G.K. Chesterton. He was an English poet, philosopher, theologian from the 1800s. Um, and he added this book, a famous book called Orthodoxy. And this quote is just stunning. I just I read it. I was like, <clears throat> one of those. So I hope you have the same effect now. That's the expectation, okay? <laughs> he said, Because children have abounding vitality... Because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again! And the grown-up person does it again until they're nearly dead. For the grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. We have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Now, at the risk of sounding like a broken record. I just, I have to say it again. If we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. There's no avoiding. The spiritual practices of Jesus, they're non-negotiable. If we want to experience transformation, and if you want to experience what Jesus called life and life to the full, there are no shortcuts. If it's a lifestyle, or it's a lifestyle, like that of an Olympic athlete. I'm coming back to Paul's um, metaphor at the beginning. But you know what? There's no guilt 
here. <laughs> you know, as we come to pray it now, there's no, it's not a guilt trip. We have so many people of so many different diverse backgrounds. We've got people here who have been followers of Jesus for just a short period of time, maybe a year, a couple of years. We've got people here who have been followers of Jesus for decades. You know, this is like, I've been doing this forever. But what we want to say is, and what we want to be is, we want this to be a safe place where we can be honest and open with one another, with exactly where we are, and not come under judgment from each other and, you know, it's, it's a safe place. The key thing in this church is practice, not performance. It's about practice and not performance. But on the other hand, we don't also want to be a church that's built around just feel-good messages and pep talks by Jesus. You know, that's not what we want to be. We want to be a church who is really living it. That's the thing. We're really living out the life of the way of Jesus. Why don't we pray? Should we stand?